This podcast is brought to you by Men's Tea Clinic. Men's Tea Clinic is the team I trust with my total wellness optimization, and so should you. Five DFW locations with North Frisco, El Dorado Parkway at Dallas North Tollway now open. Call 972-GO-MEN'S-TEA or visit mensteaclinic.com. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's our number two of our Radio Row coverage here. About to be joined by a special guest, our presenting sponsors here on Radio Row, Rally House, your home for officially licensed NFL gear, your city, your house, Rally House. It's also brought to you by Window Nation. Buy two windows, get two free, windownation.com. All right. Um, there is a little uh, NBA news we'll get to here in about 10, 15 minutes for you. But joining us now is one of our favorite guests in the NFL. He was the best man at Brian's wedding. He was. Okay. Yep. He's worked with a lot of teams, the Patriots, Raiders, Broncos, Niners. Yeah, he's been a GM. He's written books. He's opened up media networks. And uh, it's Mike Lombardi joining Thank us you. now here on 105 it's Through nice the Fan. Nice to be here. Appreciate it. Is, it yeah. It's a pleasure to meet you. I've had you on, the, on my shows over the years from 95-5, the game in Portland, to the fan. And then when Broadus joined me, he was like, yeah, he's the best man at my wedding. I'm like, dude, I love having Mike Lombardi That's on awesome. the show. I, I appreciate it. Are we here to talk about Kyrie Irving coming to Dallas? Is that no, the 76ers about? aren't making any moves, so just kind of <laughs> sit over there and just enjoy. I can see You that. still mad at your team? You mad I, at the 76ers? I hate, I, I hate them because I hate everything about – I hate everything about them in the sense of I like really highly competitive players that work their ass off, that do everything that you have to do, that are team motivated, not MVP motivated. Uh, I like guys that show up every week, show up every game, want to, you know, want to play well. And that ain't the 76ers. That ain't that. I mean, Embiid, all he talks about is being the MVP of the league. Like, that doesn't really matter for me. It's a nice trophy for you, but I like to see us win a title. But mm. you don't play hard in the last four minutes. You're out of shape. Even I, I, I grant you, you're the, one of the great athletes of all time. But you know, to me, when you, Jeff Van Gundy says this, when your best player doesn't set the tone of intolerance for anything that gets in the way of winning, you can't win. And to me, that defines Embiid. Would you acquire a player like Kyrie Irving if you were running the front office? I would be very skeptical about it, but I think I would have faith in, in Jason Kidd. I don't think they paid that much to get him, to be honest with you. And I would have faith in the coaches, the strength coach that obviously knows him. And to connect, I think the one way you lose players is when you lie to them, right? You, you, you can't lie to a player. You can't say something to a player and then not fall through with it. And so you're going to have to have a relationship with them where you kind of have that. And I think the Mavericks have guys in their building that can do that. So, look, he's one of the most talented players that ever going to play. I mean, he's a talented guy. And, and with Luka having to carry the load, you know, as much as he does, I think it adds years to Luka's career hmm. if, he, if they can get him to go where he's got to go. Sure. So you've been working in the NFL and being an NFL guest, but you also love the basketball league. I love you? hoops. Yeah. I learn more from watching basketball that applies to football than anything. It really. really is. Football has become basketball because it's a matchup. You know, like when you are when you are a team like the 49ers, let's say that their example, the 49ers, there's four there's only two formations in football, right? There's you're either in three by one or two by two. So you either got three receivers to one side and one receiver to the other side, or you got two receivers and two receivers. Now, who are there is all what becomes convoluted, right? Is it a running back? Is it a halfback? Is it, you know, who is it? So in, when you can substitute 
without substituting. So the 49ers have McCaffrey in the backfield, and they've got their fullback in the backfield, and they've got a tight end, and they've got two receivers. So they're in 21 personnel. But then they take McCaffrey, and they line him up in the slot. Now they're in 11. Okay? Or they take, they take the fullback and send them out. Now they're in 10. Yeah. So they can change to any position, and you can't substitute. Because if you go nickel against that group, they're going to run you out of it. If you stay base in that group, they're going to spread you out of it. And so that's the game in the game. And when you have versatility of players like that, when the Bulls had Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, and you substituted the match, when they put Pippen at three, you had to get a big guy to play him at three, but then they would move Pippen to, to one. Now all of a sudden that guy, to, they're moving him around, and you can't keep up. That's the essence of being great. The Patriots, Gronkowski, Hernandez. They're a 12-team, right? No, they're not. They put, they put them outside, now they're a 10-team, right? Mm. Or they put Hernandez in the backfield, now they're a 21-team. Mm. That's the essence of the game. Yeah. You create matchup nightmares like that. That's absolutely. how you have to think in personnel. You want players who have versatility. It's yeah. one of the frustrating things with me with joystick. I call Kellen Moore joystick is because I always <laughs> felt like he was playing joystick, playing Madden in his basement because he's got Zeke and he's got Pollard. He's got guys that you could really create different matchups and move them around and keep, stay in base and take advantage of the skill set. I've, I've said yeah. this for years about Zeke. I don't think Zeke's the same player he once was, but they should have gotten way more out of Zeke in the passing game than they ever did. Mm. Zeke was a better pass receiver. He should have been averaging 10 yards a catch, not five. Yeah, we thought he had that skill set coming out of college. That's a great point. Now, are you surprised that uh, Jason Garrett hasn't found another head coaching job, Mike? Uh, The clapper? No, I'm not. I I, I think to me, look, uh, if anything – Jason in New York, right? So we all have a chance to, if you get a chance, you have a chance to reestablish your career. And so when you went to New York, you had a chance to reestablish that, hey, I am an offensive guru. I can coach quarterbacks and I can develop an offense. He goes there and that doesn't happen, right? It doesn't happen. It falls flat. And then the next guy comes in with the same players and does something really well. That doesn't look good for you. You know, that doesn't look good for you. And you've been able to be a head coach for so long. Maybe you haven't. Jason's problem, though, what I see it is, and I would say this to his face, is he hasn't hasn't changed what he's done. You've got to be adaptable. And you've got to change. And you've got to redefine yourself offensively, defensively. You can't run what you ran 10 years ago because people, they run you out of that. And that's what happened in New York. Michael Lombardi with us here on 105 Through the Fan. I love the Kellen Moore line. That thing was fantastic, calling Madden plays in his basement. So if the Cowboys upgraded now with Brian Schottenheimer at OC and Mike McCarthy going to call the plays. Yeah, well, I think here they, they've given themselves a personality, right? The thing about McCarthy is he's from the West Coast school, right? So he's 20 bingo cross, Z flank flair. He's from that era. Brian Schottenheimer's from the numerical system, the 496. He's from the Sid Gilman system of football. and But they've worked together because of Marty, the father. Right, that, That's how Mike got started, working for Marty. So they've kind of had this unison. So they see the game, even though the terminology is different, they see the game through the same eyes. And I think they'll be have a better way of communicating that. they got to take advantage of, of their skill players, and, and they have to. Like, to me, the, the most disappointing part of the Cowboys season was when they went on the field at 3.08 to go in the fourth quarter, yeah. down, down seven. Right? They go on the field, and... He calls three straight passes when you know you can't punt there. You can't punt there because they have the best guy in the country in the the National Football League of pinning you inside the 20. Right. Okay? So even though you have three timeouts, they're meaningless because if you you punt there, 
you use your timeouts, you're going to get the ball back inside the 18. You're going to get the ball inside the 15. So now you're going to have to go 90 yards with no timeouts. To me, that's situational football. That's somebody who understands the whole game. Okay, if I would have been the head coach, I would have told Joystick, look, we need to get positive <laughs> yards on first down. We need to get – this is what we need to do. Like, we're not punting here, just so you know. Yeah. I don't want three incomplete passes. I want something. We're going to get a six yards. We're going to have four. We're going to move the sticks here. But, you know, naturally, Joysticks, he's got his play sheet. He's just calling plays in the basement. So more on the coordinator there, less on the quarterback, in your opinion. How, how would you assess I think a lot it? Of, I, I think a lot of it is I, – I, look, I don't, I'm not apologizing for Dak. I don't sure. think Dak played well. But I think a lot of it is there's got to be a better – there's got to be a better sense of how do we get Dak to play better. And I think he had too many voices in his ear. You, you can't have that many people talking to the quarterback. Michael, where are you on about these quarterbacks being paid? You know, where is there, per, I mean, is there a certain point, and when you and I worked together, I mean, we never really, I don't remember ever talking about the quarterbacks as much, but I just wonder where you see it now. I mean, it just yeah. seems like it's, it's automatically a $40 million guy. It's when, unbelievable. Well, we have a hard thing in, in the world today is, is saying who's great and who's good. Yeah. People have a hard time. You can't overpay for good. You can't overpay for greatness, but you can overpay for good. Yeah. Like, Dak's a really good player. They're overpaid for but you got to communicate that to the agents because he cost you four or five players by overpaying them. Like this game, for example, is, is interesting, right? So the worst special teams in all of football is the Chiefs because they're paying Mahomes. So they got all these young kids covering kicks that, that aren't really ready to cover kicks. They're just young guys running down. Who's the wor- second worst team? The Eagles because they got all this money tied up in all these other players, right? So it affects your kicking game. So when you lose all these guys to a cap because you got to pay a quarter, like Cowboy fans pray that Daniel Jones gets $40 million a year. Yes. Yeah. And I would go to VEASAN. I would listen to the show. I would go to the book, and I would bet all. I would bet that they'll go their under total next year. Mm-hmm. If they pay him forty million, they will not be as good as. And they're not any good. Let me just put this clearly: the Giants are not a playoff team. They got in there because of that. So, I think to me, when you have to pay the quarterback, you got to give and take. Now the Eagles are going to have to pay Hurts. They're not going to be able to have the Dominican Sue, Linville, Joe's, all these backups floating around. They're not going to be able to keep Andre Dillard as a backup. You know, and pay Malua. They're going to be able to do. That. They're going to have to make decisions along the way. How do you decide when it's time to move on from the quarterback? It seems like the Cowboys are about to double down on Dak by extending him. Well, I don't. To me, the the only way you can move on is when you decide you have to. You, the best time to draft a quarterback is when you have one, right? The best time to draft one is when you have one. And in this league, what there were seventy quarterbacks that end up playing in the position this year, the most since the '87 strike. So you need two of them. So, and Cooper Rush is going to get paid now, too. Somebody's going to look at – like, if I were Kyle Shanahan and I watched Cooper Rush, why wouldn't I sign Cooper Rush? He could do everything that, that Brock Purdy did. Hmm. Right? That's a good point. Michael Lombardi here with us. Now, how about running backs? We're seeing reports the Cowboys are going to tag Tony Pollard. Well, that's, a, that's a fait accompli. I mean, that, that's, he's too good of a player. What's it, $10 million to tag him? Hell, yeah, you got to tag him. He's an asset. you got to let him walk away? That guy tilts the field. He, see, I think we have to get past this notion of don't pay running backs. That's from the analytical community. Yeah. Don't pay running backs. I agree. Don't pay, don't pay a runner. Pay a weapon. Okay. Pay a weapon, a guy that can impact the running game, impact the passing game. That's a weapon. That's where Zeke's the problem was. When they paid Zeke, I said you've got to make Zeke a player in the passing game if you're going to justify paying him what you're paying him because that's the only way he can impact the game. He can't impact the game running the football. So maybe he breaks one run. Okay, great. How many times you do that, right? You can't, you can't run the ball to score. You've got to throw the ball to score, 
right? You run the ball to keep the lead. You don't run the ball to get the lead. Right. Yeah. Do you think uh, you think Sean Payton's going to fix Russell Wilson? I think what Sean Payton's going to do is make Russell Wilson do what he wants him to do, right? He's going to say, hey, look, your coach ain't coming in this building. That's the first step. Two, here's how we're going to run the play. Here's how you're going to read the play. Here's where you're going to throw the ball when you have to make that. The hard part for Russell is where do you know quarterbacks have lost their edge, right? Their courage, their ability to what we call climb the pocket. So, And one of the ways you see this is in yards per attempt. Russell's yards per attempt has dramatically gone down. Why is that? Because quarterbacks' eye levels are, are when their eye level's up, they're looking this way up the field. When their eye level's down, they're here. Bernie Kosar would come off the field and say, you know, the left guard missed his block. I had to get rid of the ball. Or the right tackle. Bernie, what are you looking at the right tackle for? Don't worry about him. Just throw the ball. But he was so worried about getting hit, he looking down. Yeah. So their eye level comes down. That's where Russell Wilson is. And he wouldn't climb the pocket. He wouldn't work the pocket up. Like if Brock Purdy would have worked the pocket up in the first series of the game, Riddick would have never hit him. Riddick would have never hit him, but he didn't. He really didn't have enough experience to work the pocket. So he kind of stayed there static, and he got his hand hit. Whereas I think that, that Russell's going to have to get back to that. And if he doesn't, you know, they brought in a sheriff, and the sheriff's going to get rid of them. Mike Lombardi, it's always an honor to have you on. Thanks, guys. Is there anything to plug or tell people where to watch you? Well, I'm on uh, You can listen to the GM Shuffle podcast. I just wrote a column on the Super Bowl for vcin.com online. So, anytime. Love it. Thank, Thank you, you sir. Guys. Always terrific, as always. Okay, it is the G Bag Nation here on your home of the Cowboys, 1053 The Fan. Mike Golick Jr. steps in with us next, right here in the G Bag Nation. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Yes, sir. Welcome back. We are live on Radio Row, and we have another victim in the A number one air hot seat. He's uh, one of our favorite guests, actually, Mike Golick Jr., A number one air, the heating, electric, and plumbing pros. And we had you on a couple of weeks ago, and we said we were going to track you down on Radio Row, and here you are. And congrats. You have a big fancy stage over there. It's The the show's called Gojo? The show's called Gojo, and, uh, yeah, DraftKings. I mean, what a world where you walk into Radio Row, and it's all the gambling companies yeah. that have the big stages now. Yeah. It's a very real culture shift. But they yeah, got the real dough. It's uh, It's been fun, though. We've been had a good time over there, me. Dad's been over there. You got the GM shuffle guys. It's a it's a whole great family atmosphere over there, and they got snacks. So, oh, do they got have the snacks? That's right. I walked in and I saw just boxes. Yeah. Now, is that for anybody, or is that for you guys? Or because I, I was kind of hungry. I think that was more of an us thing there, and 
I feel like if you walk by and just kind of take something out, you got to be subtle with it. Like every one of these tables I go by, if I just see something kind of out in the open, I act like I'm supposed to be there. Boom. Yeah. And then just you don't you want to be minimally invasive. Okay. Minimally invasive. That's good key. strategy. Confidence. Yeah. Now, do, does DraftKings have its own like platform? Do you have a how do how are we accessing all these shows? Uh, you're accessing them all right now wherever you get your podcast okay. on the DraftKings YouTube channel. That's kind of the one place where we all live together. Right you on. can go like we got a playlist under there. You know, my dad Golik and Smeddy got the playlist there so we're all kind of in the youtube hub now we're gonna have your dad on tomorrow oh god okay and i was thinking it'd be cool to have a donut for him but it doesn't look like he's had a donut in a long time so the reason he would appreciate that though is because as he always puts it my mom has decided he's still worth more to her alive than dead okay she keeps him in good shape which means he's not getting donuts the majority of the time but still loves them so if you guys gave him that treat he'd love it and he would happily house it on air like old times. well i, I think it. the last time we had you on you said the parents are here locally in arizona right Right? Oh, yeah. So are you staying there with them? Oh, yeah. It's a home game for me. Awesome. So how's that going? Is it's it, incredible. It like a reunion? It's great. They have three dogs there who I love to see. They're the only ones that are excited to see me every morning. My parents could care less. <laughs> the best part about staying with mom and dad, so I have no self-control. And as an adult who gets to grocery shop for myself, I'm a single father of none. I always have to avoid buying the things I don't want to eat right away. I cannot buy cereal for myself. If I were to buy it, I'd come home and I'd eat the whole box in one day. But my parents always have a little bit of cereal strapped at the house. So I have woken up every morning and had life. They found some mix. It was like a mix of cereals in there. It was like Cinnamon Toast Crunch and uh, like uh, Frosted Flakes. It was incredible. Okay, so you are a man after my guy, Wolchuk's heart right now. What's the best base mix of the cereal? Is it the Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Don't you you swear by the the Cinnamon Toast Crunch? I think it's the Frosted Flakes. Or the Frosted Flakes, excuse me. Is that the best base? I I would say either of those. To me, I think so. so I, I think... Cereal with a little more girth to it, a little like a backside to it, really yeah, helps. Trash can full of dirt. Cinnamon Toast Crunch just has a little bit more of that. It's not fully like the dump truck, like mini wheats, mm-hmm. yes. where all of a sudden oh, you're geez, dealing with yeah. a legitimate yeah. four course it's meal. Soak everything. But you want that sustenance. I do. I want that sustenance. So something like that to me, cinnamon toast, and it even layers well. It's like roofing on a house. It it's does like layer shingles. well. It does. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, man. My dear God. Okay, oh, yeah. so we're having ourselves a blast. Gojo, were you at the party last night? I was not at the media party last night. No, I snuck away. There was like a little like side media party. That Mina Kimes is like the most popular person at Radio Row. Yes. She's got friends across all these different places. And I walk in, and it was like, all right, like there's like eight people here. And the next thing I know, I look around, like the entire ringer's here, the athletics over there, a bunch of ESPN folks flocked in. So you just follow Mina Kimes, and you're going to be in a good spot. Okay, so we so. still haven't made it quite yet. Is what we're hearing. Yeah, yeah, we got to get at the, the, oh, no. the legit I, media party. I haven't yet. made it yet either because she originally gave me the wrong bar, and I found out from someone else. So I'm still not sure if she wasn't trying <laughs> to sabotage <laughs> me being there. Okay, I've caught whispers of a Ron Jaworski Thursday night cigar party. Yes, that, that's a real thing. That's a real thing. Uh, so I sneak in with that through Dad most yes. every year because he has to go there. He works with Gridiron Greats. That's a part of that one. So my father has to go early to walk the red carpet is not a thing that gets my dad is not a red carpet guy my dad is a waffle house made into a person (laughs) fewer fights but in general the same idea same energy yeah exactly so less uh, maybe a less chaotic top end but more about the overall dining experience but he is going to be walking the red carpet for jaws it's mike golick jr here with you on 105 through the fan is there a consensus among the golicks of who's going to win or who you want to win in the super bowl so I, i don't actually so dad dad gets the best job in the world this week 
because he is a part of the radio broadcast for the game with Westwood One. Oh. He cannot give a pick. Right. So he sits around and gets to throw peanuts and sling product out here. And then at the end, when they actually go for the thing we all want, which is a pick, he has to recuse himself. He can't mm. give a pick. So uh, I don't know where Dad would lean in his heart of hearts. I've been leaning Philly all week, and I have never once felt good about it because Patrick Mahomes scares the ever-loving daylights out of me. I didn't know how confident you were going to be on your selection. I didn't know if you were one of the ones that were privy to the script. So apparently not. So yeah. you're having to actually guess like the rest of us. Exactly. No, I know the written script is somewhere walking around. I assume it's like, uh, you know, in like the glowing suitcase, like in the end of Pulp Fiction. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm still waiting to find it. And if the script writers want help, I've seen enough M. Night Shyamalan movies to give you like a pretty good twist, even though it might lead to a lackluster ending. Is the Eagles trend, though, because of the trenches? This, this seems like a game that it's going to come down to the trench play. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of it is just the depth of that roster. Now, certainly the wild card is the health of Jalen Hurt's shoulder, and can he maximize a downfield passing game? Listen, to someone that had overs tied to A.J. Brown in the last game, watching him airmail that wide-open touchdown on the go was nightmare fuel for me. And I'm sure Steve Spagnuolo is going to put him in positions where you got to get creative and mix the bag up on mm. defense. You can't give Philly one thing because they're too good at the simple things. Football's simple for Philadelphia. Hand the ball off behind the best offensive line in football and occasionally have your quarterback keep it. And then when he doesn't want to do that, you throw deep to two of the mutants that you drafted and then sure. brought in in free agency. Life's a little bit harder for Kansas City because you've got so many injuries at receiver right now. Defensively, you're not nearly as talented as Philadelphia, but you got 15. And you've got Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy in an offense that really does a lot to help out everybody involved. So I, I, that's the part that sticks in my craw a little bit is what they do there. But it, it's the depth of this Philly roster. I've said it's the zombie apocalypse where you get that road warrior car where you're just nailing sheet metal to the side of the thing and there's spikes on the hood. That's what Philadelphia and Howie Roseman built around Jalen Hurts on this team. Gosh, that's fantastic. You're 100% right about that. If this was a Super Bowl matchup and, and – the, the people playing in it was actually just the, the menus of each city. Philadelphia food, Ooh, yeah. Kansas City, really the barbecue. I feel like they're a one-trick pony, but they're dominant. They are, they are Do dominant you, in that field, so I am really partial. So my dad obviously played for you know six years of his NFL career in Philadelphia. We've gone back a fair amount. And the Reading Terminal Market in Philadelphia, mm. it's like an old train station there where they put a bunch of food stands is like heaven on earth it's just a bunch of amish people cutting bacon in there they've got bakeries in the back and i go and eat my way through that thing every time i'm oh. in philadelphia and they do so many things well to your point variety is the spice of life it's not just a cheesesteak city so yeah, yeah. that one really uh, i have a lot of love for that but like you know the power and light district in kansas city it's all deadly okay now this is uh this is hitting close to home for us we're here at radio row right now we're all trying to be professionals oh yeah on a scale of 1 to 10, what level of emergency would you have to be in to go number two in one of these bathrooms here around all your colleagues? Emergency? I did it this morning. Okay, very good. He, he's I'm, a, he's a football a, caveman like my guy Brian Brown is here. That's incredible. Not afraid. Not. I've never been one that's afraid of like a public restroom oh. experience. I am forged in those fires. I'm a former offensive lineman. I'm a dirty, disgusting man. You take pride in that. I do admire I do. that. Do you look down on somebody, maybe like myself, that is a little gun-shy? No, you know what? I allow it. Toilet time, as uh, Eric Cartman once said, toilet time's the last bastion of American freedom, so how you choose to spend those moments, those are up to you. That's between you and usually now your cell phone for entertainment. Very time-consuming. It is. 
I got caught the other day, and she doesn't know this, but I ended up getting a phone call from my mom while I was on the toilet the other day. And I always assume might be something urgent if yeah. she's calling me and not texting me. And so I take the call, and she's just kind of going on about her day. I hang up the phone. Legs are completely legs are numb. numb. Yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, have you ever gone in a, in a doorless or a wallless uh, situation? Are you willing to go prison style? Oh, the doorless one was actually what we used to have uh, when I was in college at Notre Dame. Notre Dame Stadium. Yeah. We used to, well, Notre Dame, but even in our locker room inside the football facility, we used to just open the doors because you oh, had a buddy to yeah. talk to in there. Yeah. And we had mirrors right in front of us. So you guys could sit there and have a face-to-face conversation <laughs> while you were both on the toilet. I thought it was just team bonding. <laughs> Have you, ever, have you ever been to a college stadium? I mean, because I go to all the way back to the 80s when they didn't have any doors. It was just like oh, I, the, the commode, and you're right, right there. There's a lot of the bars in South Bend, Indiana that had those, yeah. and I am not a proud man. I have yeah. also explored in those situations out at late night, and you get to know a lot of your classmates when they're walking by <laughs> watching you in that conference. <laughs> it's like when your dog makes eye contact <laughs> with you. Oh, no. I need you to help me feel safe right now. Oh. This is not in Finney's, you know, Finney's South Bend, Indiana is not a place where you should feel safe doing this, so I need eye contact with me. Mark from accounting. Uh, are you, Mark from Econ 101. I need you to be with me here, brother. We are teammates tonight. Mike Goley Jr., the Gojo Podcast. Man, we could talk to you forever. Congrats on all your success. It's well-deserved. You're a beast. Thanks, guys. I there appreciate you having me. Mike Goley Jr. here on your home of the Cowboys, 105.3 The Fan. Lucius, talk to me. Are we going to break here and then come back with Steinberg? Does that sound about right to you? Okay. We're going to break. We'll come back with Patrick Mahomes' agent. Super agent Lee Steinberg here on 105.3 The Fan. All righty. Thank you very much, Lucius. We have a special guest sitting down in the A number one air hot seat. A number one air, the heating, electric, and plumbing pros. Our coverage brought to you by Window Nation. Buy two windows, get two free, windownation.com. It's a super agent. Lee Steinberg has represented over 300 professional athletes, football, baseball, basketball, boxing, and Olympic sports in his career. He has represented the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, a record eight times <laughs> and you look at his client list currently there are a lot of very interesting names and we look forward to talking with lee about that and a good afternoon sir thank you for joining us here on the fan thank you for having me in the hot seat <laughs> <laughs> you, hey man it, it is great to have you a man that has done deals with some of the biggest players troy aikman you know and had and has you know really been intertwined through the sports history of our lifetimes is what lee steinberg really is how amazing has this ride been with patrick mahomes how, how much fun are you having uh representing this guy if you represent football players there are probably three uh, penultimate experiences one is players going to the hall of fame and other ones having the first pick in the draft but as far much excitement as anything is having a quarterback playing in the Super Bowl. This has become the premier marketing event in America and offers a chance to take transcend the narrow genre of hardcore sports fans to reach out to this massive American audience. And I remember when Troy came off the field in the Rose Bowl for that first uh, Cowboy Super Bowl, uh, I said, do you realize what just happened? He said, yeah, I, we won the game. I said, no, Troy. You entered the Rose Bowl, and you were Troy Aikman, good football player. Now you're Troy Aikman, name and lights. And he said, oh, Lee, I'm th- you're embellishing that, overblowing that. And we got out at the Lowe's Hotel in Santa Monica, and this massive uh, fan group overwhelmed the limo. Mm. 
Yeah, we see that today. We did a beer event with Troy like six months ago, yes. and it was insane in that bar. Right. You know, and we, we see Cowboys all the time, you know, but not like that. That's a, a different kind of experience. So how's Patrick doing, you know, coming into this game and trying to win number two and not lose two? You know, how's he doing? He's remarkably grounded. So one of the things that serves him well is he doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. He's not self-absorbed. It's not all about him. And so he has pristine work habits. He's got tremendous ability to focus on the task at hand. So all this is going on, but he's not affected. How's all, how, how's all of his off-the-field opportunities coming along? Well, you turn on television. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of it. Uh, Do you ever get concerned as an agent that it becomes a distraction? Well, you m- must know that that his first two years we had a policy of no endorsements and, and not doing anything. So even when he was offered them um, the first year he was MVP, um, the point was to prove to – the owner, the general manager, the head coach, the fans, the other players, importantly, that football was his priority. And after he'd done that a couple of years and then was MVP of the league, um, we started to release on that. But again, he's a compartmentalized person, so um, those things happen in the offseason. Nothing with him interferes with him staying in shape all year, nothing with him preparing. Lee, when when you went through that process, Kansas City traded up, and so you, you've you've been through all this—the experience of kind of you, you you've been one of the experts at like my guy's going to go here or he's going to go here. How quickly did you know that Kansas City was going to be involved? I, I I know John Dorsey very well, who was the GM there at Kansas City, and he was he made it like he kept that thing right close to his vest to the very last moment there. But we know because yeah. the teams are telling us. So um, we know what are called, we call the hot teams. Sure. Um, sure. So the draft, the way we see it is which teams actually, if, if their pick comes up, will pick your player. Not what teams sort of like your player, not mm. what teams think he's a good draft pick. Will they actually pick him? <clears throat> Kansas City was a team like that in that draft. New Orleans was a team like that. Houston, and they were lined up in draft order right behind the slot the Kansas City traded into. So we knew early on they had intense interest, and then it just had to play out. Lee Steinberg here with you on 105.3 The Fan. Well, Chuck, you had, you know, the Mahomes contract was obviously a record breaker at the time. How have you seen these quarterback contracts evolve? And, and it seems like now everybody's a $40 million man, and they're just now getting higher and higher. And that's a function of revenue coming into the sport. So remember, in the midst of a cratered economy and a pandemic, CBS and Fox both increased their bid over what was a massive amount of money by 83%. They almost doubled it. And so the money continues to flow. So there's a cap in football. So 53% of the money goes to owners. So they're not losing money. They can't lose money. So it just floats like that. And $50 million of totally guaranteed contracts, which Sean Watson signed, 
quite naturally the next player is going to want more than that and more than that and more than that. And as long as the revenue flows, this sport is so quarterback-centric now. You cannot get to the Super Bowl or very far in the playoffs without a franchise quarterback. Someone you can build around for 10 to 12 years, win because of rather than with, and who importantly in critical circumstances, throwing a couple interceptions, crowds booing, games getting out of hand, we're late in the fourth quarter, can he compartmentalize, adopt a quiet mind, and elevate his play to take a team to and through? Now, if you have a player like that, the sky's the limit. What's it like uh, negotiating with Jerry Jones? I love it um, because he's got a very creative mind. He's whip smart. And um, um, and I started with him when they, he first bought the team. Um, he had... Uh, fired Tex uh, Schramm, he had fired Tom Landry, he had fired Gil Brandt, and uh, into Dallas came Troy and I, and we had a first chance to get to know him when he just started the team. So, um, um, but he's part of the new wave of owners who who imagine the sport as an entertainment and knew how to brand and knew how to expand the revenue. He's largely responsible for the fact the sport's financially healthy the way it is. You'll probably be talking to Jerry here next month, right? Cooper Rush is one of your agents. How do you expect that to go? Um, well, because I think that, look, football's a team game, so a lot of different elements go into it, but... He, you could argue that he saved the season. Sure did. Um, that that had they not had a capable quarterback in the games in which Dak was injured, it would have been you know difficult to ever get to the playoffs in their position. So, um, what you saw in the 49er playoff game is you don't just need one; you need multiple sure. quarterbacks. So. Um, if you have playoff aspirations, I think having that second quarterback be someone that you know you can rely on is critical. Lee, thank you so much. Is there anything we can plug for you? got your party coming up this week, anything like that? Yeah, we have our party on Saturday. It'll be the 36th. Uh, we're raising money for the homeless. We're uh, focusing on the issue of concussion. We're doing a health and wellness exhibit where we can hype up player energy through hyperbaric oxygen and stem cell, and and we've got some brain treatments that might actually help cure concussions. So we've got all sorts of things uh, going on. Great stuff, Lee. Appreciate your time as always. Good luck to you and Patrick in the Super Bowl. My pleasure. And hi, hi to my daughter who lives in Dallas. Oh, all oh, right on, man. Wonderful. That is great. Heck yes. Thank you, Lee. Super Agent Lee Steinberg here on 1053. The fan, of course, you know, a lot of fans uh, are going to be cheering against the Eagles and, and for his top client, Patrick Mahomes, in this Super Bowl uh, Sunday afternoon. And we're all excited for it. We have a, a whirlwind of Radio Row activity going on now. And joining us here on 105.3 The Fan is a gentleman portraying George in the upcoming movie, Big George Foreman, the miraculous story of the once and future heavyweight champion of the world. He's also in the movies uh, Space Jam, New Legacy, and others. Chris Davis here. What's going on? On 105.3 The Fan. What are we doing with the Eagles hat, my man? Look, man, look, man, you know what it is. You've seen how they play. You understand why we are here. Just honor it. Let it happen, man. 
Don't fight it. Don't fight the tie. Oh, look at the confidence. Look at the confidence here, Wolf Chuck. Man, come on, man. Really though, this is one of the best, most well-rounded teams I've seen yeah. as an Eagles fan. You know, it's not like a Rudy moment like we had with Nick Foles. Yeah. Right. This is hard work, earned work, specific work that all of these guys are doing. So they deserve to be here. You know what I mean? It's no fluke. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So lifelong Eagles fan from the Philadelphia area? Uh, I am from Camden, New Jersey. Uh, you know, growing up, my dad was a Cowboys fan. So, you know, okay. that was in the house. So you grow up being a Cowboys fan. You know, uh, it was the Aikman era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, and obviously, you know, you see those guys playing football. You're sure. like, yeah, I'm down with that. Um, but when I got older, you know, uh, the McNabb era really grabbed me, man. And, you know, I'm from Camden, New Jersey, and I arrived from my city hard, too. Um, and, you know, being from South Jersey, we don't have a South Jersey team. So, yeah. naturally, it's the Eagles, man. So I just was like, you know, for a while there, I was like, oh, I just like players, you know. Or, you know, Terrell Davis is over here, or this person's over there. I watch them, I follow them. But, again, like I said, the McNabb era really brought me home, man. So I said, you know, I'm from Camden, man, and this is where I want to be, and, you know. Yeah, so, Chris, you didn't listen to your mom and dad then, huh? No, man. So you were kind of a rebellious child a little bit? I I think your dad was on the right path. I wouldn't say rebellious. (laughs) I wouldn't say rebellious, but I was the kind of kid who did what felt right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Did what felt right to me. And that's even how I ended up in acting. You know what I mean? Because I played football most of my life as a young man. You know what I mean? What position? um, Defensive end and tight end in high school. see that. I played corner when I was, you know, peewee you know little guy but i was always playing with the heavier guys anyway because as a kid i was a lot taller than other kids yeah so very athletic yeah and 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 big so you naturally fill the george foreman role well i i didn't know that that was going to be so perfect a perfect fit Mm -hmm. because he's the same height okay you know um when he was at the height of his career uh he was about 228 um, later in his career, when he lost to Jimmy Young, he was about 232. Okay. You know, so that is around my range. Yeah. And I had no idea that it was going to fit so perfectly until I started working on the job. Because all I remembered was the big guy. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's all I remembered. So for me, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have to gain all of this weight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to act, you know, from his younger years, and then I'm just going to be a big guy. But when we got to work, I... Come to, came to realize that I would have to be not only the teenage years, Olympic years. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah, wow. But then I would have to go into the championship years, mm. right, where he's around 225 into the 230s. Then we took a eight-week hiatus where I had to gain weight to do the second half of his career. So in the first half, I would have to fluctuate. Not have to, but I chose to, right, Where, because we shot out of sequence. So one week I would be 18, 19, 20. The next week, I would be 28, 31, 32, right? So I would gain weight. I would start on like a Wednesday, and I would pick up weight for the next week to be in the 28, 30, you know, yeah. two, 228, 230 range. And next week, oh, man, we're going back down to the job core. Okay, mm. I got, oh, we're going to the Olympics. All right, I got to cut weight, so I got to get mm. down to 225. And I did that, uh, played that game. Uh, for the whole first half of the film. And then we took the eight weeks off, right? And I started off at 225. Mind you, I was trying desperately to keep that 230, but when you're doing those fight scenes for 12 hours a day, you can't help but lose weight. Dang. So they were, they called me and they said, Chris, man, you know, we want to we uh, try you for a fat suit because I was in really good shape. And it was almost <laughs> impossible. <laughs> they were like, we're going to try you for a fat suit. I said, look, man, 
you'll be back in five weeks, right? And they said, yeah. I said, okay. Come back in five weeks. See my body. If you think I need a fat suit, go ahead and make the fat suit. I don't care. <laughs> but just tell me to stop eating because it's terrible. I was doing 7,000 calories a day. Oh, oh wow. your favorite right. dude. So, so I did 7,000 calories a day. And in five weeks, I gained 50 pounds. Damn. Wow. 50 pounds in five weeks. Wow. Are you lifting this whole time? Or are you? No. Okay. No, creatine? No, uh, some creatine. Okay. Um, seven, creatine, 7,000 calories. Did it all on a pescatarian diet. Oh. Right. oh. Yeah, no sugar. This isn't ice cream. No, man. Not wow. ice cream at all. Very lean food, man. Um, and so did you get fat or did you just get rocked? I get. So I got big, man. I got yeah. big. I couldn't see my feet. Okay. The belly was so enormous nice. that I couldn't see my feet, man. Like shirts that like would dangle. Mm. I had put them on and they had a nice little lift. So I got in there. So in the eight week time period, I had gotten to 280 wow. while still Damn. training, while still training in the gym for the fight sequences for the next film, for the okay, next half. Okay, this is Chris this Davis. He's playing George Foreman in this movie coming so, up. Do you, do you have a nutritionist that is helping you? I had a nutritionist, and his recommendation was 6,000 a day. But if I would have done the 6,000 a day, I was never going to make weight. I was never going to make weight um, because it was, for, it was slotted for me to gain like two and a half to five pounds a week, and it, it really wasn't going to get me there. Right. So, you know, I sat there. I looked at the, uh, the program, and I thought to myself, I said, okay, man, you don't, want, you don't want the studio to come back and to see you and to be like, oh, well, he tried. No, man, I wanted them to be blown away. So I upped it to seven, to 7,000 a day. And when they came back, they couldn't believe it. I mean, I couldn't believe I mean, I saw myself growing. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like, it's fine. me. It's me. I was like, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And we get into the gym and, you know, we got to start training. And I'm in the, in the ring and my coach is taking a photo of me and some of the other guys I had to fight. Just side-by-sides, right, to send back to the studio. And he showed me a photo, and I, c- I couldn't believe how big I was. It was, it was astonishing, mind-blowing. So, you know, I put in the work, man, and that's what I wanted to do for Mr. Foreman, man. I wanted to do honor to his legacy. No yeah. question, man, and I, and I guarantee you did, and I look forward to seeing it. And, and what was, like, what, what is that like 7,000 calories? Are you just, are you just eating all, all day all long? Day. You're, eating, you're eating all day long so you know i would start eating at like 6 a.m and i wouldn't be done eating until about nine uh, because when you're eating that much it actually gets hard your body doesn't want to eat anymore so sometimes it would take me about two hours to finish a plate of food but because of the way that the time frame worked out was i was finished with my 1200 calorie plate of food i had to go into a 700 calorie snack Oh my goodness! So Jeez. I was just oh, not, there was just no lag time. There was no man. lag time. My man or, is just going right. So when I, once my body got used to it, you know, even when we were back in the gym training, we'd be training for like an hour or so, and then we would stop just so I could have my seven hundred calorie snack God. and my protein shake, so that it, I didn't lose too many calories. So outside of you know the eating and, and obviously the the physical aspect of mm-hmm. it. I'm always fascinated by the boxing, yeah. the preparation that goes into these movies. Like, I loved Rocky growing up, the Creed Three that's coming out. I'm pumped for that. So what went into the boxing training, and, and how is the boxing filming aspect of it in this film? Well, that's interesting because when uh, I started to train, I started to work with Daryl Foster, who was the trainer for Will Smith on Ali. Oh, cool. And um, Daryl was like, look, Chris, first and foremost, we learn how to fight. 
and we're going to treat this like fight camp. We're going to treat this like you're training for a championship fight. Mm, cool. So it was a lot of sparring. It was, there were days where I was in the ring, and he was like, I was doing a fight sequence with one guy, and he, he would just pump him in, pump him in, pump him in. It's just me in there fighting with all these guys. Now, when, we, when it came to filming, um, there's a way that you can film fights that makes it look real, but the way that we were sequencing the fights, we wanted to look, we wanted to get really close to the action, right? Not do any weird angles or anything like that that kind of hide it. They, and that wasn't really up to us. I would have much rather have chosen to do the movie magic, mm-hmm. but the way in which the director wanted to tell the story it was going to give away all of the magic, right? Give away all the secrets. So, me being the person that I am, I said, man, forget it. I said, hit me. Let's Ooh, go. Wow. Let's just get it over with. Get this hit done. You know, let's knock it out. Man, so after that. Hopefully not literally knock it out, but. Uh, not, not literally, right? But after that, all of the sequences that we had created, which were very safe, Sometimes, and you'll see in the film, it just got down to us really just throwing blows, man. And it's just 12 hours of us tagging each other, man, Jeez. just getting it in, man, popping, popping, rolling with the punches, catching them on the chin, hitting on the forehead, you know. Yeah, it was nice, real body shots. So this isn't the kind of mo- boxing movie that you're going to watch and you're going to say, oh, I saw where he faked that. Right. No, man, because the camera was right there. It caught the impact. It caught the sweat. It caught the face doing the, you know, like, oh, my God. You know, yeah. it caught it. So we ended up having to work that way when it came to filming it because the magic was all going to be gone. And I personally and the fight coordinator personally were like, look, we're not going to let this thing look like that if you're going to hide the magic. So I just dug my heels in, man, and all the other fighters did too, which was great. And we all leaned on each other. And after we did it, it was nothing but love. We had professional fighters in there. You know, uh, we had Carlos Takam in there. We had uh, Cedric Boswell, you know, um, huh. was in there um, as Sonny Liston. Um, so you're, you're, kind of, you're kind of a boxer now. At the, Sounds at, like. At the, end, at the end of it, yeah. at the end of it, it really felt like boxing was life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And what I learned through that experience, and that's what Daryl Foster's goal was, is to mm. teach me how to fight. That is like so cool. as a fighter, right? So, yeah, right. It was a fight camp, and that's what we did. So, my love for boxing, my understanding for it, and my way to box, how I can box, right, is authentic. So, yes. Well, how about the voice? Did you um, put that down? As best as I could. Yeah. You know, I'm not. I'm not Mr. Foreman, and I can never be actually Mr. Foreman, right? Yeah. And all I can do is try to honor a representation of Mr. Foreman, not not, not even an emulation or an impersonation. You know, uh, so I did the best that I could. I worked with a, a dialect coach, and we worked on um, the different eras because he sounds different hmm. from when he was a kid to when he was a champion to when he's, you know, in his selling later the grills. years. Still selling the grills. It's yeah. a completely different way of speaking, you know. Uh, so we worked hard on that. We worked hard on his the specificity of his mannerisms in the ring. You know, uh, using his stop blocks, which made him look like a mummy, but they were very specific, a very specific way of fighting, almost Tai Chi-like, you know, in the ring, just to open guys up and using angles. People don't realize how much of a... Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively... Sports. clock at four. Donchich. 
The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh.